When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on affordable flowers for a wedding, addressing concerns you have before going on a Zoom date, how to determine who sits at the head of the table, and roommates inviting people over during the pandemic. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining Members, our question of the week is about people who say they didn't receive information you sent when you know they actually did. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript from Emily and the 1922 edition of Etiquette on dangers to be avoided in conversation. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey, cuz. <laughs> Lizzie Post, how is it going? Oh, it's a it's a going. I actually got, I'm just going to dive right into it. I got to participate in something really cool. And you and I have done sort of the homemade version of this, but this is a, a service that does it. And it's called a video hug, a vid hug. And my friend Wendy, who listens to this show. Hey, Wendy. Hey, Wendy. She set up the uh, one of our mutual friends, uh, Grandma grandmother died and the grandmother's overseas and it's just been really hard. The friend had had kind of moved away this year for the first time in a long time. So she doesn't have like her people around her, you know, to kind of help help her through this. And of course it's yeah. been the pandemic. So it's it's been lonely and hard. And Wendy found this thing called VidHug. And what it is, is it, she collected like all of the friend email addresses and sent us a link to this vid hug thing. And what you do is you record like a short little video for the person. They make it super easy to do. And you can say anything you want in it, but they do give some pointers for what makes for a good supportive video hug and length and that kind of stuff. And then it automatically stitches each of the videos together and sends it to the person they're meant for. And it was so... So nice. Yeah. No, it was really cool. Like we, we had done something similar for our grandfather one year when we couldn't spend Christmas with him. And it was, you know, it was, it was fun and it was, it was cool and everything, but this is cooler because it's a service that does it for you and you don't have to edit it or anything. And you don't necessarily see the other people's videos. Um, you can, I, well, you can watch the whole thing. I think there is a link so that you can watch the whole thing, but it was so cool. And our friend who was sad, she emailed everybody back and, and was able to say, thank you so much. And this felt so great, but I thought it was the coolest thing. I was really grateful to Wendy for coordinating it and, and including me. And, um, do you guys got to check it out? This is not sponsored or anything, but it was really cool. It worked. It worked, Dan. It worked. <laughs> Technology brought people together, made everyone maybe feel a little better, a little more connected. Absolutely. And it – okay, now let's bring it back to the etiquette, right? It did not stop people from also sending our pal, like, uh, uh, you know, flowers or a care package or little notes or emails, texts, any of that. All good ways to send a friend condolences, you know. I would say don't just leave it at a text message, but just mm -hmm. the way we communicate it is not unheard of to find these things out in this way, you know, through the grapevine and such. Anyway, it doesn't negate any of those, but it was a nice addition to them. And I can imagine that participating in something like that might even serve as a little bit of a trigger, a reminder for some of those other um, – I don't want to just call them etiquettes, but things that you could they do. They are etiquettes. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. It did. It definitely does. It it serves as kind of like one more thing, but it 
I don't know. It can. I think it could make you feel like you checked the box if that's kind of where your head is at with it, or it could make you feel like you want to do more or you could do more in other ways. Absolutely. Or I broke the seal. I'm in this zone. Yes. It'd be relatively easy to follow up with a little exactly. note. No, exactly. Exactly. The other thing that it instantly brings to mind for me is that I happen to record my little section for that video with your father in Dubai. Oh, that's we were right. I forgot about that doing a, a a seminar there or so training there or something and it was kind of fun because it was right over the holidays and we had gone to one of these enormous malls that are <laughs> world famous and it was all decked out in the the christmas holiday regalia so we did our video in front of this enormous christmas tree and um, <laughs> it was nice it was nice to think of poppy it worked for me then yeah very cool indeed. You know what else is really cool, cousin? Listener questions. You got it. Let's get to some questions. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled Floral Faux Pas. Hello. A friend recommended this podcast to me several months ago for wedding advice. Thank you, friend. Yes. I have listened every week since and have learned so much. I am getting married in Vermont this July and have a question about flowers. (laughs) I know, right? Welcome. And it's signed Wilted and Chittenden, so that's like our county. (laughs) Like, neighbor, hello. Okay, Dan, sorry. I had to get excited about that. Please continue. (laughs) We are using an awesome florist for the bouquets, arbor piece, and the flowers at the reception. Unfortunately, I don't have room in my budget for flowers going down the aisle. I want to have six mason jars with wildflowers placed on the benches. I could do this for an affordable cost myself using flowers from the grocery store, but I am worried it will be rude to bring grocery store flowers to the wedding when I have a great florist already. Is it rude to do this? If you think it's acceptable, how can I tell the florist I am doing this without being rude? She's a very nice woman and is going to be doing a lot of work for us on our wedding day. I don't want to offend her. Thank you so much. Wilted in Chittenden. 
Oh, wilted. It's too early in spring to be wilted. Let's Don't be wilted. <laughs> I know. I feel like I'm like I'm like let let's make wilted a Johnny jump up. <laughs> like, you know, like something perky in the flower world. Um wilted in Chittenden, I I do think that this is a smart thing to be thinking of, right? Just the same way you wouldn't just bring your own barbecue when you've hired a caterer or, you know, you might not provide extra desserts of your own making when you've got a baker. I think it's smart to think about the same when it comes to your florist. And the first thing I would probably do is just check my contract just to see if it mentions anything in that in there already about this. But without that, Dan, my my brain really goes to two places. And before I launch off on an answer, do you have any thoughts on this one? <laughs> okay. I, I was really curious to hear how you would handle this because you have so much more experience with vendors and this vendor relationship than I do. But I, my big picture thought was I think you can do it. And I think I'd mention it but try not to make too big a deal out of it. And okay. I, I'm thinking about a lot of scenarios where – uh, you, you mentioned like a caterer. You might say to a caterer, there is a, a particular dessert that I make that I really love or for whatever reason, there's some specialty item that's something yep. you and your family produce. And if I'm a caterer and I come and you're just doing something, I might be like, that's a little weird. And at the same time, <laughs> if you had said to me, we do this special family thing and I'm really looking forward to doing it and I, I'm going to place it in the meal here. This is how it's going to fit. Sure. Uh, to me, that's a whole different thing. And I think that you approach it like that. Like, this is something I want to do. I like. But I also wasn't sure. I, I, I didn't know if that would be stepping on toes. I felt a little, like, wilted as I was thinking of my answer. So I was curious <laughs> what, what you would say. <laughs> Great. We've got two wilted flowers now. Um, well, my my thoughts are – it's it's funny. I Like, I, I understand it from the perspective of I have something really – special that we do that I, I want to do that would be, you know, within your bailiwick, but I, I'm not, you know, I want to do it my own way. Right. Mm -hmm. And that makes a lot of sense. But here we're just talking about grocery store flowers and, and the honesty, simplicity of that. And so my inner, I'm just going to say a BSer was going, okay, so come up with a reason that the florist can't. And as soon as my brain goes, come up with a reason, I've learned over the years so much better to divert right to the truth. Yes. So I think that what Wilted and Chittenden could do would be to ask first if the florist can accommodate the thing that you're looking for. Hey, I really had this vision of some wildflowers on the benches, you know, along the aisles as we're going down just to dress them up. Uh, it wasn't something we had talked about. And I, I know we sort of maxed out the budget. Is there any way to make something like that happen? And they might suggest making a few adjustments to your your floral plan that might let it accommodate it. They might also say no. Um, I'm sorry, it's really not. And if you get that no, that I can't accommodate it within your budget, then you can say, in that case, do you mind if I bring some of my own to do that with? And that might be a way that you can, you know, broach the subject, come up with that solution once you've received the no from the florist that it's not possible to fit it within your budget. And then they know. And you, I like, I was sitting here making up things like, like, oh, oh, forget the grocery store. You could grow them at home. And then you're growing the love for the marriage, right? Like labor of love addition to the ceremony kind of a thing, right? The inner BSer. And that could take it into the special thing territory. And you, you, again, you don't have to let that inner BSer move, move you in that direction. But I do think that because your wedding's in July, you still have time, even if you you started some like uh, seeds under a little vegetation light at home or something to get them going a bit faster, you could totally grow these flowers that you're talking about. And that might be even cheaper than having to buy them at the grocery store. And then you can make that labor of love thing true. <laughs> It's tough because there's no guarantee that someone's not going to take offense, that sure. someone who thinks of themselves as an artist and they've really put a lot of work into creating an aesthetic, an idea, a feel, a, a quality product for you, and they might not like the idea of you doing something else as a part of the floral arrangement for the wedding. Mm -hmm. and. I also don't think it's an unreasonable ask or thing for you to suggest this is one of those events where you're at the center of it and you get to make some decisions. And I think that you are responsible for being uh, careful about how you talk to someone and careful with their feelings and thoughts. And I think that ultimately 
you get to make some choices about your event. And if you decided that you wanted a florist to do everything except the bouquet that you're going to carry, and that's what you want to do, that's okay. And you do want to talk to her about it and let her know so that they have the best chance to respond well and maybe not be bothered or offended by it. But if that does happen, I also I don't want you to take that on necessarily if you've done the work to take care with how you make that ask. And like Lizzie says, if it's not part of the contract that that you can't do something like this. Yeah. And the other thing is that I do still think it's so much better to ask than just do. I love that Dan's very first piece of advice was, I think I'd mention it. I think I'd want to bring up that conversation rather than just show up, you know, and have it be a surprise to someone. And vendors are used to being asked questions. It is mm-hmm. okay. I mean, we we learned this. I remember when I was writing the 20th edition and talking with the uh, funeral director slash um, end, end of life specialist. She was saying, ask any questions because you just don't know what's possible. They, you know, you just, you never know what's possible that someone could work around and, and make something work for you. So asking, asking politely, being willing to accept a no and move forward all key things to making this a very simple, very reasonable, not anxiety-inducing moment. (laughs) Before we go, I have to say one more thing, which is that my very first, first thought when I read this question was, Emily loved a country wedding. She did. She did. (laughs) And my brother and his now wife had um, mason jars hung in trees with flowers, wildflowers that they'd picked all over the wedding site. And it was absolutely lovely. <laughs> if I do say so myself. It was. No, it was great. It was a great wedding. Wilted and Chittenden, thank you so much for the question. Congratulations on the upcoming wedding. And send us pictures. We want to see how these gorgeous flowers turn out. Flowers? Anne won't expect flowers, will she? I'm thinking of Easter Mary because it's a special occasion. Of course, if you want to take flowers anyway, I guess there's no law against it. But, but I don't have to unless it's a ritzy affair. Our next question asker wonders, is it a date or something else? Hello, Dan and Lizzie. Firstly, I would like to thank you for your unironically awesome podcast. It has helped to guide me through many strange and sometimes intense situations over the years with class and compassion. My question is about modern romance and dating in the COVID-19 era, and I would be interested to hear your insight about a situation I find often, and I would be interested to hear your insight about a situation I often find myself in. As a 23-year-old man, I find it difficult to meet people who aren't looking for hookups. I have no qualms with people hooking up, but I find that I get personally invested in people quickly, which always leads to me getting hurt in the process. That's beside the point. Recently, I had a man message me on social media. He looked familiar, and it turned out that we were mutual friends with someone I'm close with. He expressed to me that he was interested in getting to know me more, and we agreed on a time for a Zoom date. Now, this all sounds great, but I'm getting conflicting information from him through our virtual conversations. In our text conversations, he uses verbiage that is somewhat sexually suggestive. I could detail those messages, but I'll spare you the details. Essentially, I'm getting hookup vibes from the guy who agreed to go out, in quotes, on a date, in quotes, Zoom date, that is. This is a common situation I find myself in, where it's hard to tell if they want to get to know me because of a romantic interest or a hookup interest. My gut wants to ask him directly before we even get to the date, in quotes, whether or not he is looking for a hookup. Conversely, I'm afraid saying something like that might scare him off or be off-putting, but I also don't want to waste my time going on dates, in quotes, and getting to know someone who isn't interested in a substantive romantic relationship. My question for both Dan and Lizzie is this, should I address my concern directly or go on dates and get to know this guy and let it play out? I would love to hear your insight. All the best, L. Well, I could have written that question, cuz. L, I <laughs> like... <laughs> read your question and I instantly thought about Lizzie Post, who <laughs> gave me some of the best dating advice I ever received through a book that she wrote when she was just out of college. <laughs> Clearly and better at it back then. <laughs> I it was it was one of those aha moments uh-huh. that I would hope that people might have in an etiquette class I teach at some point um, <laughs> where you say to yourself, that is really good advice. I'm going to use that and it's going to be 
useful and make me better at what I do. <laughs> what was the advice? I'm so insistent. With all of I don't this remember it at up, all. <laughs> you will remember when I say it's about the good ask. Oh, yeah. And that is part of that It was book. about people <laughs> asking people on dates but being scared to put out what they were really interested in or looking for. Yeah. And it it wasn't exactly what this question is addressing, but it taught me a lot about the clarity of that ask. And what you said, Lizzie, was that you advise people to have the courage to ask someone out on a date, to not say, hey, let's get together. Or would you be the, 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 the ask that is essentially the asking if you'd like to do something, but not actually asking you to do the thing. Mm-hmm. Hey, you want to do something a, a, sometime? Uh, yes. Subtle difference, but very <laughs> important. I would like to do something sometime. What else <laughs> is coming after this? The ask matters. Would you like to have dinner with me on Tuesday night? Yeah. Is something that someone can say yes or no to. Yeah. As opposed to, would you like to get dinner with me sometime? Or would you be interested in having dinner? Yeah, I'd be interested in that. And now we're no, I still have to ask. Yeah. <laughs> At some point, you, you've got to make the ask. And uh, you got me to that point quicker, which was really helpful. <laughs> make a clear, direct ask. And there's a version of that advice that I would think might be useful for L. So what is that version? <laughs> I think that L could, and I know this is a little risky, put out there something along the lines that he's putting out here, that he's looking for a relationship, looking for something that goes beyond just a date and chemistry on a date. Yeah. And I think that language can be your language. It can be whatever, however you want to describe that relationship that you're looking for. But I think looking for a relationship implies that you're looking for something that goes beyond just that night. Mm-hmm. And that's a good way to give someone an indication that you're looking for some accountability and some growth in terms of your, your connection with a romantic partner. I think what's really hard about what I read in this question and what I experience personally is um, when it comes to dating comfort levels and expectations vary so greatly and how we present to the other person that we are interested can vary so much. Some people don't want to show anything until they're feeling the things in person that they need to feel. Mm -hmm. Other people start testing the flirty waters right away uh, to see if that chemistry is there, to see if they get a little, a little nibble, you know, or a little, a little, someone takes a bite. Um, And it's so hard because here for me, what I hear in this question is that the line of he expressed to me that he was interested in getting to know me more. And we agreed on a time for a zoom date to it sounds like what then happened was that the date guy the you know the other guy not our question asker his idea of letting our question at letting l know i'm interested was hey i'm i am interested i want to get to know you better and for him it seems like that means immediately trying to test out those flirty waters those sexually suggestive waters And if that's just not what makes you feel comfortable, I think setting that up and letting someone know, hey, Mm -hmm. I am really glad that you're interested. For me, I tend to take things slower in terms of, you know, flirting or, or sexual suggestion as I'm getting to know someone. I'm really looking for, you know, a lasting relationship when I go out on quote unquote dates, you know, mm-hmm. or looking to explore if there's potential for a lasting relationship. So I, I, I Lizzie Post, you are good at this. <laughs> for all my singledom and my lack of dating life entirely. I do think it's really hard because I, how are you supposed to let someone know I'm interested? I'm sexually attracted to you. I, I like the idea of us crossing into that territory in life. Like it's a hard question. It's, it's hard to make people feel comfortable. I think it's hard to be yourself, your expressive self, your flirty sexual self and make that all work with all the other emotions going on. And the only thing I have ever come to is that telling someone what you are looking for, exactly what Dan suggested, is the best way to do it from the get-go, whether that's in the ask that you make of a date. And it sounds like L was the person being mm-hmm. asked on the quote-unquote date, so a little harder. But even when you respond to that date and say, I would love to get to know you on Zoom. I've done a couple of these before. Let me tell you what I'm looking for. If that sounds good to you, let's meet up on the quote-unquote date, you know? 
if the other person says yes and is still making you feel uncomfortable with the things they're saying or the pace that they are moving and exploring at, then I think you can trust that gut and speak up and say, I, I got to be honest, this is feeling a little strong for me. I'm, I, I, I'm really more of a let's be friends until it's really clear we should be more. And that's so hard because the other person's trying to figure out with their moves whether or not that's there or not. They're just not doing it in a way that resonates with you. It's so hard. But it's now so they hard. Know. I know, but now they know. And what I think is the biggest tell is how they react to knowing. Oh, well, I was just trying to do this. I mean, how else do you get to know? Are they angry at you for standing up for yourself? Or are they like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for letting me know. It's so hard to tell. And I just, I am excited to date people or boy, thanks for telling me. I am really just looking for hookups. I'm not looking for a long-term partnership right now. So maybe best if we seek other people. Lizzie Post, I think that is really sound advice. The one other thing that I think is worth mentioning and yeah. it's it's practical advice it's not etiquette advice yeah, yeah. sometimes that sorting starts to happen before the ask yes and, um, <laughs> true when the pandemic started we heard a lot about the amount of dating that moved online yep. the, one of the things that really happened over this pandemic is online dating went from being the majority to being the vast majority of how people meet and being choosy about which platforms you use to meet people is one way to start to group yourself with people that might be looking for the same kinds of things. And mm -hmm. I know there are just so, so many options in that world out there, but maybe spending a little bit of time investigating that would be a useful place where you've got a little bit of an idea of where you're jumping off from. And I think of it akin to picking the 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 night spot in town that you like to go to the most in person. Yeah. And that would be the way I would approach choosing sort of a virtual dating site today. And I recognize this happened on social media. Mm -hmm. In many ways, it's the, the digital version potentially of that organic friends meeting in the social space yeah. place. It might not be a, a dating site or platform, but that if it isn't that those might be other options to kind of pre-screen that pool of people. L, we hope that our answer helps both with this date and dates in the future. Yes, that's what a boy likes. He wants to know he's appreciated. Anne would be fun on a date. But I don't think I'll know what to say, what to talk about. Now, don't worry about that. Just be your natural talk to his old self. Come on, let's do it for something. Our next question is titled, Host at the Head? Dear Lizzie and Daniel, how does one determine the head of a table in your host's home? Years ago, when we were all single in our 20s, a friend hosted a dinner in his small apartment. There were four of us, and the dining table was a small rectangle that sat four. It was adjacent to the kitchen and also bordered the living room. As other guests selected their seats, I took the remaining seat on the narrow end which bordered the living room, so that I would face the wall and presumably the host. I saw this as deferring to the host. Another guest slash friend chided me for sitting at the head of the table. I was embarrassed. First, because to me, it felt like we were naturally selecting the seat closest to where we were standing. Second, I had an internal assumption that the host would sit with his back to the wall so he could observe the whole space. How could I know what our host considered his seat? In hindsight, I should have asked, where would you like me to sit? But it didn't even occur to me as options were so limited. Now, another 20 years later, I still am unsure, even as my husband and I have determined the head of the table in our own homes. We've moved a couple times in our marriage. Mm. In our home, I, as hostess, tend to select the seat next to my husband but facing the kitchen so I can keep an eye out for burners still on or other hostessing hazards, and my back is to a patio door, allowing our guests to enjoy the view. My husband is to my right on the short end of the table with a view of the whole upstairs entertaining space. Is there a method to determine the head of the table? Or is it a choice each household makes? In the absence of captain's chairs with arms, how is it signaled to guests? Should I be across the length of the table from my husband rather than beside him, albeit on another side of the table? It occurs to me now that the other guests in the scenario from my youth were all in the military and had likely gone through training on entertainment scenarios so as to avoid wrong moves. I look forward to your take on this and advice for how to behave selecting a seat. Sincerely, shamed sitter. Oh, 
shamed sitter no i mean you you like were but don't take it on (laughs) like i think i know it's amazing how that memory sticks right right? like those moments where we're like horrified because someone else decided to judge us um i would say that just for the for the past situation we'll deal with the past and then we'll jump to the present i can see logically for a four-person dinner at a table you mentioned it was rectangle so in my head i was actually picturing a square where it would be even harder to tell because there's no shorter end that might look like the traditional head of the table. But you are absolutely right that in hindsight, what you would do is ask. I think it makes a lot of sense that for a ca- what I'm assuming was a casual friend's dinner with just four people, that just picking the seat that you were standing the closest to shouldn't have been problematic. I like how our shamed sitter talks about in the future at her home, she sits facing out into the room so that with her back to the patio door so that guests can enjoy the view. That is actually one of the things that we suggest to consider when you're seating people at a table. And I know we just did a big postscript on it, but the idea is where's the good view. And often that's out to a window or if you're, you're out on a patio, it's out over, over the, the landscape, over the view. If you're in a room, the good view often looks out into the room rather than to, you know, against a wall or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So often, often the host is the one facing the wall, whereas the guest, are the one facing the room. An- another consideration yeah, he, there's so many that things sometimes to talk about. comes yeah. into play there is just, is there a seat that's annoying? <laughs> that's right, uh, totally. At, at, at our kitchen table, there's a, uh, a big window mm-hmm. and our table has a bench between the table and the window mm-hmm. and then chairs around the other side. So that bench table, actually very similar to Mud and Poppy's table. Totally. <laughs> um, re- re- requires, if you're going to be in the middle of the bench seat, a little bit of scooching. Mm-hmm. So that wouldn't it's be the, the annoying I would seat. put Pooja's parents <laughs> in, for example. No, no. And by putting them on the other side, you would give them the view out the window, too. So it's a double plus, right? Easier to get in and out, better view. But it's also that consideration sometimes about just is it practical? Is it easy to come and go mm-hmm. um, for a guest or is chair wobbly or anyway i could think of a number of things another good consideration um in terms of determining the head of the table traditionally on a rectangular table the heads are the shorter ends at a round table it's totally up to you where you determine that head of table is i would probably in my own home if i had a round table base it on that where's the good view for the guests where's the annoying seat and i as the host will take that that kind of a thing for a little square table, just like the round table. It's kind of like you have to, you have to look to the host. I'm also just going to put out here, Dan, this is Mm. such a great cause for, and we sell them and lots of wonderful other people like Mr. P's blaze guard, sell them blaze guards. Exactly. (laughs) Blaze guards are they, you know, even for a casual affair, you don't have to get a fancy place card. You can just have a little, a little white fold over a little colored fold over that you write someone's name on in a very, you know, casual handwriting. As long as it's legible, it doesn't have to be beautiful script. It doesn't have to be printed on there. But this is such a great cause for it because it does, it helps guests figure things out. They know what to do. They know what's expected and they can feel confident knowing that they're doing, which is what I'm gathering from all of this, whether it's the guest that was judging our listener, whether it's listener, they can feel confident knowing they are doing what their host would like in the host's home. And that's, I I like the fact that there's a little that host guest dance going on in the, in the sentiment of this question. I do too. There's a, parallel situation in my life that I was thinking about when I was visiting Alan and Peggy Post, steward of this tradition for many years. Mm -hmm. They have a little breakfast table and there's a certain seat at the breakfast table that my Uncle Alan sits at and reads his newspaper. Yep. So when you come downstairs for breakfast, Peggy just lets you know that's Alan's morning chair. Mm -hmm. And it happens to be where the newspaper gets laid out on the table and he's most comfortable sitting in the morning. And her letting there would be no way for me to know that unless the host mentioned it to me and this isn't a sit-down dinner so in some ways if if i as a guest end up in that chair it's really up to the hosts in some ways to let me know and you can do that with the things that develop in your house like that you do have a lot of autonomy in your home and um, if there is a certain groove that develops or pattern that develops just letting your guests know that so everyone's comfortable is a completely reasonable thing to do, particularly with 
more informal, casual gatherings. And in no way does this contradict anything Dan just said. But you could also, as the host, choose to not worry about it at all. If someone sure sits could. at you, right? Like if someone sits at the, like if, if you're. Particularly if, if you didn't say anything. Or, and like if Pooja's parents, for instance, sat along the bench, I could totally see Dan saying, if you two would like to not be on the bench, please feel free to, to move your places to the other side. If not, you know, we're happy to have you sit there. You know, I could see things mm-hmm. like that. There's a lot among friends, among family, in these semi-casual, casual situations, it's just so easy to have the light conversation about it, you know? So the final thing that we should touch upon is the idea that our question asker sits to her husband's right on the short end of the table. So the, the I'm guessing the two of them are kind of cornered and then guests fill in the rest of the seats. For me, when you're at home, when you're with family, when it's more casual dining, totally, totally fine. We talked about that in the seating chart that for like a casual dinner party, you might even have couples sit wherever they want, some together, some apart, things like that. But when it's more formal, I tend to think it's really nice to separate out the hosts a bit and go for those long ends of the table, because then you've got one of of your set of hosts kind of manning or like being there for the group of guests that they're around they can play that role and i just find that when you're when you're a couple and you're hosting and you're seated in those corners together and it's a more formal situation it feels a little bit less like you're i don't know almost like you a little less like you have your arms all around the group you know i don't know why i'm picturing Mm -hmm. the table as a hug but i am and it's like i think it kind of it helps helps to weight that um, host-guest balance a little differently as opposed to having them in the corner. But I also see your practical reasons for keeping an eye on things in the kitchen. At my parents' house, Trisha Post always sits at the head of the table closest to the kitchen because I guarantee of the two of them, she is definitely monitoring anything that might be going on in the kitchen. And my dad sits at the head of the table that actually is closer to the living room. And he can kind of see stuff in the kitchen if he needs to. But then he goes and he can help her as they prepare the next course or something like that. Or one of us kids will offer to help or something like that. I think it's because the sequel recently came out. But I have the scene from the first Coming to America in my mind <laughs> when Eddie Murphy's having dinner with his parents and they're opposite ends of this incredibly long table so long they have to use a microphone uh, to talk to each other it's not what we're going for <laughs> no and, and, and it's it illustrates the absurdity of an overly formal conversation between just close family who are dining together yes it's it's really funny <laughs> and at the same time as we get into that the the, the more formal situation where mm-hmm. it's not the joke, but oftentimes the guest of honor is on your host's right mm-hmm. or is on the right hand of the head of the table. And that, again, sort of as, as you start to escalate and climb that ladder of formality, that option starts to be less and less available to you. Oh, because you finally did it. I know you've been wanting to talk about coming to America in some of those scenes for a while now. And so it was fun to see you slip it in. Shamed Sitter, we really hope that our answer helps and gives you variety for ways to be an awesome host and communicate to your guests. Good manners make people happy. And good table manners make eating together a happy time. Our next question is about visitors during COVID. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My roommate asked if he could have a friend over because the friend lives alone and was feeling depressed from the isolation. I feel for this friend, but I don't know him or where he's been and wanted to say no to maintain the health and safety of our home. I caved, but it made me feel uncomfortable in the safe haven where I now live and work almost 24-7 and re-sanitized everything once our guest left. Afterward, I thought my roommate and I should talk through our house rules and what we're both comfortable with. He thinks I'm overreacting, vouched for his friend, and argued that the visit was good for their mental health. I think he's missing the point of the statewide mandate about the gravity of the pandemic, but I can't force him to comply and don't know what to do about our shared space. I appreciate your thoughts or one of your famous sample scripts. Thanks in advance. Sincerely, Trapped. Oh, Dan, this is so hard. 
Yikes. I know. I know. This is it, – it, it's – again, we're dealing with this idea of like different expectations, people's reactions to people telling them. I don't think what we ended up doing was safe. Like, things like mm-hmm. that have been very, very uh, tense, very touchy, very – emotional moments and points and triggers for people right now. And I do think that a conversation is really important. Good on you for trying to say, hey, you know, this happened, but I want to talk about it because it didn't make me feel comfortable. And it sounds like it's one of those really unfortunate but good examples of when the other person doesn't receive your, hey, could we talk about this conversation well? And that's just tough. It's really, really tough. And like you say, it, you're in the house, you're working 24-7. You, It's like you feel like you are completely justified in making requests and, and talking to someone about comfort levels in the space you live and work in. And at the same time, the reality is you just don't have control over other people. It is a tough situation. And b- before we get to sample scripts or breaking down the language. There are a couple of just big picture thoughts that I I would want to put on the table because I think they can sometimes help manage some of those emotions that you're talking about, maybe Mm -hmm. help it feel like a less potentially fraught conversation, which it often turns into or which these conversations can often turn into. I think that reminding yourself ahead of time um, and even saying explicitly early on and as part of the conversation that you understand that people see these things differently that people mm-hmm. make different choices, that that's okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> that people are coming from different places so they might have the exact same information and feel differently about it. Or sometimes people are operating with vastly different sets of information and the ground that we're all standing on together is shifting and changing all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's really it, – it's not just okay. It's to be expected that people are going to see things differently, feel differently about things, make different choices and that means that it's essential. It's part of the etiquette landscape that we're all living in Mm -hmm. that we accept that, that we understand that people are going to make slightly different choices so that when you have these conversations, it's not a comment about the choices that other people make. It's about exchanging important information as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that we're wanting to be informed by the choices that other people are making, that we ask questions, um, but we ask them in a way that shows awareness that people have rights to privacy and mm-hmm. their own choices. So that was one big picture thought I wanted to share that mm-hmm. it, it it's not necessarily important that you reach accord with your roommate or that you come to agreement necessarily, but that there are ways that you can live together and find accommodation that don't require that of you. Because I'm, I'm loving the idea, but this is like a safety issue, right? I mean, like, or it could be a safety issue. And how do you think that differs from just like, we have different styles of doing the dishes? Like, you know what I mean? Because it's like, this feels like a bigger deal. If someone's coming, I, like, I could imagine you and Pooj would have a more serious conversation if like one of the two of you invited someone over in a way that the other wasn't too happy about, you know, like, like, yeah. like bigger deal than just we view this differently, especially when the the fear emotion is you just put me at risk. You know what? Yeah. How, do, how do you handle that side of this? Because it's heavy. I think that you go back to that thing that you and I say all the time, which is really hard about safety superseding etiquette. Yeah. That when it comes to the social expectations, you push through. You mm-hmm. say, oh, this conversation is awkward. Well, I'm I'm not going to just create the space for that awkwardness to go away. I'm going to keep having it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that ultimately, you know what your bottom lines are. And that's another kind of preparation thought. But you say to yourself, if I can't reach a cord, what are my options? Mm-hmm. And it might be that you can't live with someone during a pandemic who sees things really differently than you. <laughs> or it might be that you do exactly what you did, which is you you let your roommate have the get together to, to feel that mental goodness. You maybe leave the apartment during that time and then you come mm-hmm. back and clean it to your liking when they go. And it's a pain in the neck, but maybe that's also a way of showing the roommate, hey, I understand that you really need this. I'm willing to do these things to let that happen, even though it means a ton of extra cleaning and a little bit uncertainty on my part. But just acknowledging that even can can sometimes help move, you know, moving it forward. I had some very similar thoughts in terms of the kinds of compromises that might emerge. Mm-hmm. 
if the mental health is the question, are there other ways you can satisfy that mental health? Can right, you the take walk walks? outside, can you right? <laughs> meet at a gym that's masked and lets you work out in the same time and place? Are there other options? Mm-hmm. If there aren't, what can you do to remove yourself from that situation? Would the would the roommate be willing to participate in that cleaning so that yep. it didn't all fall on you? If they yep. were the ones who were saying, I want this benefit, would they be willing to take on some of that effort? Would you be willing to go to the friend who lives alone's house so that you you know what I mean? And I know that still means the houses are exchanging. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I know in our state, and I don't know what state Trapped is in, but in our state, people who lived alone were granted the privilege of buddying up with one house so that they didn't face this kind of pressure and 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 uh, isolation. Excuse mental me. stress. Yeah, mental stress. And and that meant for me, it meant ag- agreeing and making sure that my partner house agreed to the same style of living together. And while you don't know what this person's practices have been, they are okay questions to be asking right now. So just another part of it trapped is that it it is okay for you to ask about the stuff you don't know. For me, when I think about how I wish this could have gone from the start, I think about things like, I wish you had been able to have the conversation with your roommate where you say, here are the ways I would feel comfortable with you getting together with someone else, given that we live together and what we do impacts each other, right? So just that reminder, not that I'm trying to control you or mm-hmm. or control my anxiety through you, but we live together and we impact each other. And right now that's a safety concern from a health perspective. Let's discuss how we can meet both the mental health needs and the physical health needs of this particular time. And having that bigger, broader conversation is good. I think that what you tried to do is a good idea when it didn't go well. Hey, could we talk about this? And this is what I'm, I don't know exactly how that conversation began, but I do think that it's a conversation that benefits from a lot of acknowledging all that is valid. The friend is lonely and isolated, and that is real. The mental health of just being in the apartment with the one other person is real, you know? And The and risk-reward assessment. The, yeah, the risk-reward assessment is all... But just actually talking about how valid all of it is can take sometimes take the defensiveness out of the person who acted in a way that made you uncomfortable, but then say, what I'd love to do is come up with a plan for the future. And if they're not willing to work with you, I think then you're starting to hit Dan's more extreme situation of, of, you know, now we got to ask some real questions here, whether moving out is even an option is even a question. But I think if they are willing to kind of hear and just accept the reality that your lives impact one another and this particular interaction didn't make you feel great in your own home, can we come up with some things that would make this better? And then you always use the phrase for both of us, right? Like you include the other person in the goodness that could come from something like this. And I think that's another another way to channel that language so that it gets to that goal of we both want to live here well. And be ready to stay flexible because as yeah. we mentioned at the start, these things are changing all the time. It, mm-hmm. it might not be that you can – Set up a future plan that's going to be dependable or if the roommate won't agree to it. I also wanted to mention that Mm -hmm. sometimes when you're trying to resolve something that's really difficult, where there's a real impasse, that it might not happen in one conversation. Oh, yeah. That it might be about checking in, letting someone know how what happened impacted you, how you're thinking and feeling about it, maybe putting some ideas on the table. But that might take a day or two to kind of settle and 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 be something that someone can react to and respond to. Do you think it's also worth, Dan, in that moment, like really emphasizing that you, you do want to know their perspective too? You know, because sometimes I feel mm-hmm. like when you get someone who's always really trying to hit home how they were impacted by something, it can just make you feel like I'm, I'm I feel like I have to deal with so much of you, you know, like, where am I in this? And it, it can I think it can really help the other party when, when you're being really inclusive of, of their impact as well, while delivering the, I feel statements. That's very emotionally intelligent. (laughs) Trapped. We really hope that our answer helps you feel less trapped and gives you a few tools for navigating this potentially tricky situation. 
Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or a text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can find us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we're hearing from a few different listeners about getting guests to use coasters. That was a question from a while back now. First, we hear from Beverly. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. Thanks for making such an informative, useful and entertaining podcast. I have some thoughts about the coaster question that I listened to last night. If the host is so concerned about the furniture, then maybe shifting the way of entertaining would make hosting more enjoyable. For example, large events could be held only outdoors when the weather is nice. Then indoor entertaining with smaller groups could be held inside as the weather dictates. If coaster use is a must, then how about having it be a DYI party activity? Guests make their own (laughs) coasters at a coaster creation station. I'm thinking of a coaster version of the wine glass charms to help guests track their glasses. Guests might be more cooperative in using their little piece of art. (laughs) I loved the idea of using glass tops for special pieces. I also think tablecloths could be the answer, too. I have a spin on the tablecloth idea. The host could use those 40s-style fruit-patterned vinyl tablecloths on everything for a Ah! 40s theme party (laughs) or red checkered tablecloths for a pizzeria party, etc. (laughs) These ideas popped into my head, so I thought I'd share them with you. Thanks again for a great podcast, Beverly. Beverly, thank you for a great feedback share. That was awesome. Definitely a lot of ideas to run with there. Our next piece of feedback is from Elizabeth, who says, I've got the answer. The host who requires people to use coasters should make that clear on the invitation. That way, I can be sure to never attend a party at their house. Honestly, what are tables for if not to put things on? The person who posed this question is indeed the prototypical nervous host. As someone who doesn't use coasters at home because I have tables, countertops, and desks that can accommodate objects without crumbling to dust, I have encountered this host before, and it is the most unwelcoming feeling in the world to have my movements monitored and be scolded every time I set down a drink. I love your suggestion of covering precious surfaces with a piece of glass or a tablecloth. That's a logical solution for a question that drove me a little bit crazy. Thanks for all you do, Elizabeth. Now we're going to hear from Mel with another take who wrote in, Hey, Lizzie and Dan, I was listening to your latest episode and the listener question, Help, caught my attention. Upon guests arriving, I think it would be perfectly appropriate to say something like, Hi, Dan. I'm so glad you could make it. There are drinks in the cooler, sodas in the fridge, and there should be coasters on the tables. (laughs) If you don't see one, let me know. Enjoy. Something like that, where you lump the coaster in with the welcoming orientation that usually happens when letting people know where to find beverages. Would love to hear the follow-up answer that you decide is most appropriate. Looking forward to the days of parties again. Thanks, Mel. Oh, Mel, we are so looking forward to the days of parties again. Dan, I am I am so glad that we got this much feedback on one particular topic. It reminds me of the, the days of the pizza, the, the pizza order toppings war. <laughs> or shoes in your house. <laughs> right. Um, and I've got to say, Elizabeth did really make me chuckle with the because we all know that you would never put coaster information or something like that on an invitation. But just the idea of like, oh, boy, don't don't make me be that guest who feels monitored. I love the idea that Mel had of getting at it from the get go of just reminding folks as a part of always offering things in your home. You always offer a coaster. I know as soon as a host offers me a coaster, it's an immediate check off in my mind of, oh, I should probably be using a coaster at this host at this host's home. And I just go with it then. I also sympathize with the idea that you don't want to turn into someone who's so monitoring your guests over this that they start to feel uncomfortable. 
I, I really appreciated the ideas for creative ways to just cover right? all your stuff. <laughs> like the 40s theme party, the pizzeria theme party. I, I thought we have some really great listeners. Is there some kind of theme party I could throw for my children's entire teenage years or something? Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. Listeners, thank you so much for all your feedback. And please, please keep your thoughts and updates coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to talk about a reading from the 1922 edition of Etiquette on the dangers to be avoided in conversation. And I've got to say, <laughs> I'm waiting this for one it. rings true almost 100 years later. Dan was so excited about this one when I started reading it to him. He's like, I, I give this advice. I was like, I know. All right. It's to be found on pages 55 and 56, and it's titled Dangers to be Avoided. In conversation, the dangers are very much the same as those to be avoided in writing letters. Talk about things which you think will be agreeable to your hearer. Don't dilate on ills, misfortune, or other unpleasantness. The one in greatest danger of making enemies is the man or woman of brilliant wit. If sharp, wit is apt to produce a feeling of mistrust even while it stimulates. Furthermore, the applause which follows every witty sally becomes in time breath to the nostrils and perfectly well-intentioned people who mean to say nothing unkind in the flash of a second, quote unquote, see a point and in the next second, score it with no more power to resist than a drug addict can resist a dose put into his hand. The mimic is a joy to his present company, but the eccentric mannerism of one is much easier to imitate than the charm of another, and the subjects of the habitual mimic are all too apt to become his enemies. You need not, however, be dull because you refrain from the rank habit of a critical attitude, which, like a weed, will grow all over the place if you let it have half a chance. A very good resolve to make and keep, if you would also keep any friends you make, is never to speak of anyone without, in imagination, having them overhear what you say. One often hears the exclamation, I would say it to her face. At least be very sure that this is true and not a braggart's phrase. And then, nine times out of ten, think better of it and refrain. Preaching is all very well in a textbook, schoolroom, or pulpit, but it has no place in society. Society is supposed to be a pleasant place. Telling people disagreeable things to their faces or behind their backs is not a pleasant occupation. <laughs> Emily I love, Post, I know, please I love that go section. on and on and on. <laughs> Except not we stop into there. what you're about to say. But. <laughs> Ironically, this is one of those places that is then followed with something that we don't agree with, <laughs> which is the idea that women should make men look good when they talk. <laughs> really foul concept. But. Yeah, no, we're glad we ditched that one. But so many good points here, cuz. So many good points. It's true. And I'll just tell you, as you're reading, I, one thing delights me more than the next until we <laughs> heard her say the rank habit of critical attitude. And I just had to write it down as you said it because <laughs> it's a thought that I really appreciate. I yeah. think that the temptation of being critical or what people call ironic today or sarcastic, sarcastic. or cynical. Oh, yeah. It's just such a trap. And I, I watch it capture people's minds and capture their sense of humor and capture the way they view things. It, it, it stops becoming just a funny, a funny thing to say and starts becoming an attitude or approach, a, a, a rank habit of critical attitude. And to hear Emily talk about it being problematic in her day and as something to caution about and be careful of in yourself reminded me that it's that it that it's real, that it's a real trap. It's not yeah. just something that we're falling prey to right now in this moment, this time, but but that it's there is something there that that's worth watching and and that both makes it 
maybe easier to deal with some ways and harder to deal with in some ways. In, in so many ways, it, it reminds me of like just the, the idea of cool and like what's not cool. And like, it's, it's not cool to dislike everything. Like it's, it's, it's not, not cool to, to do, to, to act like, uh, everything's kind of not of interest to me. It, it, and in fact, what Emily's saying is that, you know, a lot of people fear being dull and needing to have some kind of attitude about what they're saying. And in fact, the opposite is true that, you know, a more sincerely formed thought and expression of it is, is much more likely to garner conversation and discussion than just putting out there that something is awful, bad, or, or a, a, a part of everything being awful and bad, you know, it's just, it's, it's not cool. It's not fun. It doesn't serve the purpose of socializing. And this isn't to say that getting together and having critical ideas isn't a good thing. It is a good thing. But how you make that delivery is such yeah. a difference to how you are going to participate well and and be a respected, I think, person within your group, whether that's family, whether that's peers, whether that's colleagues, you know, whatever it is. The naysayer does not win. Like it's, they, they just don't win. And I, like you, Dan, I found it really interesting that even in Emily's day, the naysayer didn't win. And it's so tempting. We, we say in our business classes, be careful about negative gossip. It's easy to fall into the trap of building rapport around sharing dirty laundry and mm -hmm. um, picking things apart. But as Emily points out, and as you just, stated so eloquently it's it's not as clever as it might feel or sound to the person doing it and it doesn't always land well there was one other thing that jumped out at me yeah, what in was your it? reading that i just have to mention also which was emily's advice to be careful about how you talk about people when they're not present yeah this as is a, a particular mechanism for you holding give. yourself accountable it yeah. is and you and i have have, have have gone back and forth on how realistic an expectation that is sure and i think there's some subtlety to how you can both be honest mm -hmm. and talk about difficulties and problems that you're having but doing it in a way that you could be ultimately accountable for is a question that I think is worth thinking about when we've investigated on this show before. And yep. I was just really curious to hear about the way that Emily sort of weighed in with it as a, a big picture umbrella idea for her. It was a big warning. It was a big warning of, of you know, would, would you really say it to their face? And, and who is it that you're saying it to? You know, in my mind, there is a difference between you and your, your nearest and dearest and you fleshing out some of the experiences you've had with other people and just simply trash talking somebody. You know, mm -hmm. it's there's a really there is a big difference between them, but they could th that line, I think, could easily cross sometimes when you're trying to work something out or you're really frustrated about a situation or an interaction that ha happened with someone and you are telling someone else about it, it can do the thing it needs to do. It lets you explore it privately, manage it, and then figure out how you're going to proceed with the, the person directly involved. And other times it can just cross into being a broken record where it almost seems like you're trying to gather people on your side or something. And I love that Emily closes that kind of section by saying, this is not how we try to behave when we're trying to be in a pleasant society with one another. We can save those thoughts and conversations or have them in other ways, you know. Um, but I think that that self-accountability of would you really say it to her face? And if you said it to her face, would you say it that way is a mm -hmm. very good question to be asking or questions to be asking yourself as you think. I always love Emily's descriptions. You know, the mimic is a joy, but then can easily create, you know, uh, enemies. <laughs> you, mm -hmm. know, you might be able to mimic someone's eccentricities, but you can't mimic their charm. <laughs> like, just... She she had a way with words, Emily. And to continue through, that has always been true. You know, we we talk about that third tier of conversation being family, sometimes being finance and often being like physical or, or medical issues. And she says, don't dilate on ills, misfortune or other unpleasantnesses. And that's not to say you can't discuss them with your best friend or, or something, but at someone else's dinner party, is it going to become the main topic of table conversation? Probably not.
Probably not. <laughs> Lizzie Bose, this was a phenomenal reading. Thank you so much for getting us back to the 1922 edition of Etiquette. And please do find more like this one. I, know. I was like, so what else can we get out of here? Anyway, well, thank you. It's always a joy, always a joy to, to break out original Emily. Well, Johnny's rude and selfish. He doesn't think of others. He won't take turns. And he always seems to be mad at somebody, always shouting or bossing us around. We'd like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today, we have a salute from Gina. Hi, awesome etiquette. I have a salute to send out this week. Ever since the pandemic hit, I've been trying to support local restaurants without dining in, so I've been doing a lot of online and call-in orders, just picking up from my favorite places. There is one restaurant in particular that is always crazy busy with lots of orders, where I always feel bad for adding to their load. But the hostess there who hands out orders is always kind and courteous, no matter how overwhelmed she may be at the time. She assures me that they appreciate all the business during this time and always make sure I have everything I need and wishes me a good day. So here's a salute to her for not letting the stress out on others. Thanks, Gina. Gina, what a great salute. I always love it when it feels like your your community is a place where you're experiencing all that good etiquette. Gina, thank you so much for this feedback. And thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something and to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers. And if you'd like to, on social media too. You can send us your next question, feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps new people find Awesome Etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Chris, Thanks, and, Chris Bridget. and Bridget. Thanks, Chris and Bridget.